Mr. Holly. Yes, sir. Oh, good. You, you can hear me. I don't want you to think I'm yelling at you. Ron will be telling you that I'm yelling at you. And uh, <laughs> Yes, sir. All right. Find your way in your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. What page are we on, Jeremy? All right. I got my other one tonight, Abby. Fourteen twenty-two. Come on, John, you can do it. Fifteen ninety two. Good work. You know the most important page in your Bible? Table of Contents. Yeah. You found the book of Acts, did you not? It's an important page. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the study of the Word of God. We thank you uh, for your Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask to be taught. Thanks for the the book of Acts. We ask to be taught by your Holy Spirit. Uh, And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, chapter 12, as we've been studying through the book of Acts, um, great ground that we've covered. Uh, You go all the way back to the promise of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1, in the beginning of the account of what Luke wrote down, his second letter to, uh, uh, well, to Theophilus, right? The, the, the idea of the works of Jesus. That, that's what this was about. So you had the, uh, all that Jesus both began to do and to teach up until the time he was taken up. That's, that's the gospel of Luke. Great, great study to take Luke and Acts together and, and look for the Holy Spirit, right? And, and it's Luke who records this, and I, I maybe repeat this to you, but it, it is Luke who takes record that it was the Spirit upon Elizabeth that when she heard the news, when, when Mary came with Jesus in the womb to visit Elizabeth, John, John, we know him as John the Baptist, but that John, right, uh, not our John, that John, he, he leapt in the womb. Uh, the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon, Right, as he he happens to be at that place on day eight when they bring Jesus in to be circumcised. And he begins to prophesy. John prophesies, Mary prophesies this this work of the Holy Spirit. And and Luke, if you consider his experience in which he saw, he enters into the book of Acts here, not yet. We'll we'll see when he starts He changes the pronouns, they, 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 and then when he joins up, the pronouns become we. And we'll look for that over the next few weeks. So what he enters into, what we enter into, if we we receive it, is the, the works of Jesus continuing in the church by the Holy Spirit. How do you know this is a work of God? Well, by faith, we believe the Holy Spirit 
in agreement with what Jesus said, what the Word of God said, that the Holy Spirit still sends forth people and calls them to go forth in very definite callings. In a couple of weeks, we're going to get on to Acts chapter 13 and look at the most definite call that the Bible even says the Holy Spirit said this. We've seen the Holy Spirit given on the day of Pentecost without the laying on of hands. Holy Spirit, that first time, Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Jesus baptizes uh, all the believers in the upper room. We see the Holy Spirit given through the laying on of hands in Samaria in Acts chapter 8. We see the Holy Spirit once again coming upon the Gentile believers in Acts chapter 10, which we've recently studied. We've seen this work of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. And, And this is how the works of Jesus continued in the church. This is what the Lord meant when he said, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Judea and Samaria, and and uh, what's both, oh, excuse me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the world. The works of Jesus. Well, we come to Acts chapter 12, and there's no laying on of the hands in Acts chapter 12 for the baptism with the Holy Spirit. There's no record of uh, the work of God amongst the Gentiles from 10 into 11. When, when, uh, Barnabas made it all the way to Antioch and they were teaching the church and Saul came and they were teaching the church and they were increasingly added to the Lord and they're getting baptized with the Holy Spirit. Uh, And and I love the record as we'll continue in the book of Acts. So don't minimize Acts chapter 12 because it's it's not a chapter of the gospel going forth, but rather uh, it's a very important understanding really uh, in concerning the warfare concerning the persecuted church, concerning, really, let's be honest, that as we talk as much about the power of the Holy Spirit going forth, that, that there's very much the reality that, that Satan from time to time stretches forth his power through human instruments to, to kill some of the saints of God. The, the, the ministries like Voice of the Martyrs that, that document the atrocities that happen simply because of being a Christian in various parts of the world. The the church in Syria, the church in Iran, heavily persecuted. The the understanding of what has happened throughout history, the places in this on this earth and and uh was it Voice of the Martyrs used to have a t shirt that would have that the gospel is illegal in fifty two countries. That you cannot preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We come to this place of of the really the the if we're honest it is the it is the in the warfare when satan i mean much to maybe our surprise actually has power through him an instrument to kill an apostle about that time herod the king stretched out his hand to harass from the church and as he harasses from the church he killed james the brother of john with the sword now we we come to this place and and it's worthy enough to to put forth as I have before the church was birthed in days really of, of Roman Empire control, not days of ease. In fact, there's a lot of persecution as as you read through the book of Acts. There's a lot of persecution concerning the Jews. The Jews are banished from Rome, and that's how Paul ends up finding uh, what's their their names. Yeah, Priscilla and Aquila. 
because they were put out. And, and what we see happening up so far in this point in time, you've seen the, the, the Pharisees, you've seen Saul of Tarsus really lead the charge to put an end to the, to the sect of Judaism, which they called the way. We come to chapter 12, and now the official Roman government, Herod, the king of that area, uh, again over Judea, he, uh, this, this is official Roman government type of, of stuff to kill those from the church. Now, Herod Agrippa I, which is this Herod, so we'd say Herod Agrippa, we say the first because he had a son and he named him Herod Agrippa. So that's how he became senior. Well, we just know him as Herod Agrippa. He's the grandson of Herod the Great. So now when you read in the scriptures and you have the king that's reigning at the time when Christ is born, and you have, that's the Herod. Herod the Great is the one who gives the command to kill all the, all the children in Bethlehem, aged two years and under. Herod the Great is the one who built the Herodian. He's the one who built Caesarea by the sea. He's the great builder. He's the one who built what's on top of the plateau um, out by the Dead Sea, the one that we hike up, Masada. He built Masada. He had many palaces. That's Herod the Great. So his grandson is the one who kills James the Apostle. Herod Agrippa, uh, he's the nephew of the Herod who beheaded John the Baptist. So Herod Antipas, he's the one that, that John would say, hey, it's not right for you to have your brother's wife and put in prison and then the, the whole thing. That's that Herod. And, and so you're like, Herod, Herod's not a name. Herod's a title. Idumean, you know, directly descended in, in portion from the Amalekites, King Agag the one that Saul was supposed to wipe out. I mean, so you see a lot of these things now coming forth. Herod should never have existed if Saul had obeyed the command given in the law to Moses. And then when the prophet came, said to Saul, go wipe out the Amalekites. See, that's that Herod. Herod then marries a Jewish, right? A Jewish wife, Herod Agrippa. And, and he, in having a Jewish wife, now he starts to want to be Jewish as he rules over that. He wants to be the king of the Jews. And so he starts to do things that pleases the Jews. Now we get into this study, the uh, Herod Agrippa II, so the son of the guy who kills James the Apostle, the Apostle Paul, Right, So it kills the Apostle James. The Apostle Paul comes before his son, Herod, Herod Agrippa II, Acts 26. And he's preaching unto Agrippa. And Agrippa says, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. Now, this is quite the undertaking. So, you, you know, all things work together for good for those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. You look at the things that God continues to weave through all these things. So, so James the Apostle, Peter, James, and John, the group of three, right? They're on, they're on the Mount of Transfiguration together. It's Peter, James, and John who are taken along with Jesus while he, he mourns, well, what's that? While he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, while he's uh, sorrowful in heart. That James, the Apostle James. So in, in the uh, setting forth of the pleasing of the Jews, James is killed. 
Now, when you read the book, James, right, the, in the book in the Bible that's titled James, that's written by Jesus's brother, not the apostle James. This is by James. And then the other brother who wrote a book of the Bible is Jude. So those are both attributed unto brothers of Jesus after the natural order. So descendants of Mary and Joseph, where Jesus is not a descendant of Joseph. And so when you read the genealogies and you have both Mary's genealogy, then you have Joseph's genealogy, you have the bloodline, and then you have the, the line of the, of the order from the fathers. So as you read your Bible, how it is that, that Jesus coming from the line of David is fulfilled both through Mary and through Joseph which is a great uh, study and undertaking, and, and just bring these things all up. So this James, who's beheaded by Herod Agrippa, is James, the brother of John, sons of thunder, right? They're the ones who, whose mom comes and says to Jesus, can my boys have, have the best spot in the kingdom? Now, I like this. They believe, they receive. They're, they're believing what Jesus is saying concerning the kingdom. They believe that there's a throne and they, they ask for it. They come straight up for it. And I don't know if James and John says, Mom, will you ask him? He, he won't turn you down. I don't know how the interaction went. But Jesus says to James and John in answer to that, he says, are you, you says you don't know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? So Jesus is going up to Jerusalem and they ask, Jesus is going to go suffer and die for who he is. And he, and he asks him, are you able to drink the cup? Are you able to be baptized with that baptism? And they said to him, we are able. Well, what do we just find out? James just drank the cup, suffered and died for his relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, declaring Jesus is the Messiah, declaring he's the way, the truth, the life, declaring that he is the Son of God. And in, in being an apostle and sent forth, and, and now he is he's killed. He's the first apostle killed. John is the last. So first shall be last, last shall be first. You know, are they are they actually going to have the the position in the kingdom? We don't, we have no idea. It wasn't for Jesus to give out. The Father had already determined who it was going to belong to. But the truth is, the suffering and the death of all the apostles. Only John. We're we're told from church history. Only John was not put to death. They sought to put him to death, and many of us know this: that he was boiled in hot oil. And it did not kill him. And so instead of, they, they were unable to kill him in that manner, they banished him to the island of Patmos, where he then receives this wonderful revelation of Jesus Christ and writes it down. So the concerning James and uh, how did Herod get a hold of him? Well, one of the early church fathers, Clemens, in his writings, tells us that the man who had accused James... So there was a man who accused James and handed him over that when he uh, saw the apostles' extraordinary courage and dauntlessness, he repented and fell at James's feet, asked for his forgiveness, professed his desire to be a Christian. And this is according to Clemens. He says, James reportedly said to him, peace be unto thee. And he kissed him and they were beheaded at the same time. So that's what church history says concerning 
how Herod even got a hold of James that he was handed over. So the Jews had four official methods of capital punishment. A lot of times we go right to the most popular one, the one that everybody thinks about, oh, stoning. But it actually would be uh, in in an idea of the way that they would do this, burning, beheading, and even strangulation was a, a method of the capital punishment. And according to the Talmud, if you follow you know, the internal writings of the Jews concerning what the rabbis said. You have the Mishnah, which is the written traditions of, uh, well, excuse me, the written record of the things that Moses orally said. That That's sneaky, isn't it? And, and so you, and the Mishnah is kind of tough, but they follow it. And then the Talmud is actually the record of what the rabbis have arrived at over time. And so you have a Talmud uh, you even have a separate Talmud for all the Jews who were sent out over uh, initially to Babylon and stayed. There's a whole uh, Talmudic system of writings. But in the Talmud, they they declared that beheading was reserved for anyone who tried to draw another person away after strange worship. And so with that understanding, James being beheaded, that method of, of putting him to death was that James was leading people to worship Jesus as the Son of God and that's why they chose that method of persecution. Excuse me, execution. I guess it's persecution, but it's unto execution. Well, so we come to this chapter. And uh, not in despair, right? I, I think we, we, we've come now to see and to know. Uh, and maybe, maybe the apostles, I, I don't know their perspective, but I know what, what our Lord said to them. And I think of, James and John on the shore, John chapter 21, where Peter's restored, and Peter in being restored, he is shown. Peter is shown that when he is older, someone will lead him in a way that he does not want to go, and and that he would be killed for his faith in Jesus Christ. And then Peter says, what about John? Because John was nearby. And, and then the saying of John was, what does it matter to you if... If he remains alive until I come, and then the, the words of the Lord to Peter was, you follow me. What do I know? James is following Jesus. This isn't like a surprise. This is God allowing, and for, again, in the way that we would understand, James has finished his course on earth. Jesus finished the work that God had given him to do. And that's his words on the cross. It is finished. When, when the Apostle Paul is heading up to Jerusalem, he absolutely believes when he's going to Jerusalem that he is finishing his race. And he's telling the church on the way up, they're saying, don't go. He says, I'm ready to go. He has that understanding that, that this could be it. And then God extends him. God extends him and he preaches, he preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ unto Herod. And then, and then he goes to Rome, and then we're told, not in the Bible, but in history, that he preached the gospel before Caesar, and specifically the one who, who ultimately really unleashes a lot of the blame in the Roman Empire upon, upon the Christians, and that's Caesar Nero. In fact, many declare in, in understanding by way of reason that after Paul preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to Nero, he became, uh, uh, I, I would say, insidiously wicked because he had hardened his heart toward the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would dip Christians in hot 
oil, hot tar, light them on fire alive for his parties and say the things, and again, usually attributed to Nero, that he would say, see, Christian, now you're the light of the world. That type of treatment that Nero persecuted the church. So we come back to the record in the book of Acts that Herod is the one who killed James. Again, did it all legal and official, yet wickedly and with a lie. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, in verse 3, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it's during the days of unleavened bread. This is same time of the year. Feast of unleavened bread goes together with Passover. This is the time that the Lord was crucified. And you have, you have James killed in the same time. And now Peter is actually taken prisoner. And so we, we come to this. Uh, and the motive seems to be political. It, so we talk about Nero and the way that Nero probably took some things personally after the gospel had been preached unto him directly. Now, certainly the, the Nero's later on, our Nero's, the Caesar's later on, there's 10 waves of persecution that continues. The, the church continues to be persecuted under the Caesar's. But Herod simply seems to be at this point in time trying to strengthen the position of the leadership of the Jews by killing the leadership of those that follow Jesus Christ and not interested in, in, in anything else other than really being a man pleaser Remember, he, he married, I think her name was Adrienne, uh, or Miriam, I forget. Uh, like, may I have it in my notes here? Not that you guys care. Miriam uh, was her name. And in marrying her, being a Jew, uh, he wanted to do these things that pleased the Jews, and he sought to kill the leadership of the way, of, of the church of Jesus. So Peter's arrested, put in prison, And it says in verse 4, they delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Now, four squads, that that actually means that there's uh, a squad is a group of four, so you have four groups of four, 16 soldiers. Now, they're not all assigned to guard Peter at the same time. They're split up in shifts. They each have a six-hour shift of which... Four soldiers are assigned to guard one man. And so in this method of, of setting a guard like that, these, these groups of four, they would rotate every six hours and change the guard. They'd remain fresh. They'd be alert. Peter would have been chained to two of the soldiers, one at his right hand, one at his left. The remaining two would guard the room. 24 hours a day, Peter's chained to, to soldiers. Imagine Apostle Paul, he's under that structure for a long time, and we're told that he preaches the gospel while he's in prison, and and the the word of God, he would have new soldiers every six hours chained to him, a captive audience where Paul would be preaching Christ unto them. And then many got saved, and and the salvation even reached into Caesar's household. I love the book of Acts and the record of of even what we would say that's a horrible thing. And do we do we know really what's horrible? And Paul writes back to the church at Philippi and he describes I'm in chains. And he says but it's turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. He says the word of God is not chained. See, these are the things in life that we go through. Some of the most uh, how would we say 
the painful experiences, some of the things that you look at somebody's life and their life is falling apart. I've watched this over and over as a pastor being involved in people's lives. Out of that, life falling apart is many times when someone turns and comes to the Lord. And sometimes the gospel is even more powerful in the midst of trial and suffering. And and I love the testimony coming out of the church in Syria a few years back, how it is that they described it this way. They said, they said war, or they, excuse me, they said revival broke out in the midst of war in Syria. So the church who are there are deciding, we have a chance to get out now. We can flee, leave our homes, get out of the city, get somewhere safe. And a good portion of the church prayed. They prayed, they obeyed, and they stayed. And so here they've chosen to lay down their lives. And one woman's testimony in particular, a pastor's wife, uh, who's working that out between her and the Lord and what that decision as her husband's making the decision. And, and her decision, the first night was her own life between her and the Lord. Yes, I lay it down. Right? Laying down her own life, saying, if I lose my life for faith in Jesus Christ, right, it's worth it. I'm going to stay, and whatever comes my way, whatever soldiers come through the the door, whatever party, whatever we're drug out of here, whatever happens to us, right? whatever happens to my life, and she put that together with her husband who had already decided that, we're staying. The second night of prayer was for her children. And that's the place she came to. And this is the testimony. So that night, Weeping, crying, praying, seeking God. Lord, what if my children die? We're staying here. There are children you've given unto us. Really, they're yours. You gave them to us. We're going to pray and we're going to stay here. We're going to obey this. And whatever comes our way, that even if they lose their lives, we're going to stay. And they, their testimony was revival broke out. They never knew who was coming through the door. If it was someone who was coming through the door to be saved or someone from the church that had made their way to them was going to pray because they couldn't assemble anymore. And they would have times when those that were going through the neighborhood seeking out to kill, they would come through the door. And they gave testimony of soldiers coming in with their guns and their testimony as they came in. And they prayed and they watched God save the enemies who came to kill them Over and over again, they watched God deliver, not just deliver their lives, but save those that came to kill them. We think in terms of escaping, they were thinking in terms of save everybody who walks through the door. Now, why we talk about this in this way, and a way I introduce it by way of that testimony, let's not miss Acts chapter 12 for what it is. Our lives aren't in that. We're not living that way. We're not, we're not being persecuted. You know, the, the government isn't laying hold of any of the church leaders to put them to death. That's not happening here. And a lot of times you say, well, it might happen here. But let's not waste our time to think, what will we do when that gets there? Let's live for Christ now. But on this planet, in these days, these things are happening. And it's in these days, in the days of, if you will, the last dispensation, the church age, the dispensation of grace, the last dispensation before Jesus comes back. His disciples asked him, when's the next age or the end of the age? And Jesus talks about his second coming. And he talks about what's coming. And then John's revelation describes the second coming of Jesus. This is it until the return of Jesus. There is no other age 
that's going to happen in between. The church is going to be caught up. Seven years of trouble, tribulation here on the earth, where the Antichrist is going to be able to do everything he wanted to do for the last three and a half of that. And then the Lord Jesus comes back, brings an end to the kingdom of man. Then he establishes the kingdom age. Thousand years. These are the things that, that in the context of all this going on in the book of Acts, that, that Pete, James is killed, Peter's laid hold of. We're going to read this through the book of Acts. And throughout history, governments have sought to put, bring an end to the gospel of Jesus Christ by persecuting and murdering those, the pastors, the apostles, the leaders. And let's learn from this. Remember I said no laying on of hands for the baptism with the Holy Spirit? Church of Syria was not talking about their great services of receiving the baptism with the Holy Spirit. What were, what were they identifying? It was the power of the Spirit of God upon, upon the answered prayer and the work of salvation right before their eyes. What are we going to see in Acts 12? Answered prayer. You look at verse 5. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Now, I don't know what happened so quickly with Peter that they did not get organized or or excuse me, with James, James was arrested and killed before they even knew it happened. But by Peter being held in prison because of the feast and time passes, the church begins to pray. Now, so I emphasize with that church in Syria, they prayed, they stayed, they obeyed. And, and even the testimony of the, of the pastor's wife, she prayed about staying and she prayed about laying down her life. She prayed about laying down the lives of her children. Do you think the children will ever be disappointed that her mom, that their mom stayed with them and that they stayed in so-called harm's way? What did our Lord teach us? He who seeks to save his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake will keep it for eternal life. We'll probably meet them in heaven. They'll probably be, they'll probably be somewhere up front and we'll be in the back waving, and, but we'll be there. We'll be near the back door or something. But the idea that that this is what took place. Now, here's the King James. And again, regards to this constant prayer. King James reads it this way. Therefore, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing. So constant prayer without ceasing. Our Lord taught taught in a parable concerning the woman who, who wanted her case to be heard by the unjust judge, Luke 18. She would not hear her case. She would not hear her case. So what did she keep doing? She went to the unjust judge every day, listen to my case. Hey, I'm pleading my case. Judge, rule in my case, rule in my case. After a while, he didn't really want to hear the case, but what did he do? This unjust judge, because this woman was wearying him, and just day by day being wore down, he says, okay, I'll hear the case. And the parable was that that God, right? So that perspective of our prayers that we have in persistence with God, God is good. He's not an unjust judge. How much more him as we cry out to him day by day? And and let's be honest. Out of the context, the Lord hears the prayers of his people who are crying out for vengeance. Now, I remind you the days we live in, you might not be in one of those places, but this which is coming upon the whole world, pray. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Pray for Jesus to come back. Pray for the judgment of God upon the wicked who are suppressing the truth, right? In unrighteousness and ungodliness, those that will not turn. At the end of Revelation, the Bible clearly says, let him who is righteous be righteous still and let him that is wicked 
be wicked still. There comes a time at the end of that millennial reign where there is a final of, there's really then from that point forward, there's no repentance. That's at the end of the end before the new heavens and the new earth. Now, what am I declaring to us? Let's pray. Constant prayer is offered up. Uh, I'll give you that. Again, that's Luke 18 of the persistence in prayer. Uh, Ephesians 6.18. Right? Pray. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Now, let's be honest. You got time? You have time for praying like this? And the answer is yes, we all have time. But the answer is what do we normally say? I'm busy, got these things going. This is a place that that I believe uh, for the church, they're just like us. They, they were not offering up constant prayer again until when? Until something happened. This was real for them. One that they knew right in Jerusalem. One of the, this is the Apostle Peter. The door to save the Gentiles was just opened up through Peter. They, is Herod serious? Yes, he just killed James. What's everybody thinking? Peter's going to be killed. What's Peter thinking? I'm guessing Peter's thinking. I'm guessing, right? I'm guessing Peter's thinking, is this it? Is this what Jesus meant on the shore of Galilee when he restored me? He fed me. Do you love me? Tend my sheep. Do you love me? Do you love me? And he says, when you're older, you're going to go away. You don't want to go. Someone's going to lead you. Is this it? He's being chained. He's chained. between. He can't go where he wants to go. And I'm thinking, all he's thinking, this must be it. So as he's kept in prison, constant prayer, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. Now, this is that place I would encourage you not to spread yourself so thin and pray for everything, but take those things day by day. And, and if, you, if you want something to get you going, uh, there's a, a wonderful booklet put forth by Andrew Murray, again, which takes him about 125 years ago. So he, he's run a good course. He, you know, if, if the author is dead, they're read. The guys who write things now, you don't even know if they're going to finish the good course, do you? I've thrown more books away from guys who just, that's what he really thought? And it turns out that some guys aren't even writing their own books anyway. Now, when I say this, Andrew Murray says, it's called the Ministry of Intercession. And it's an exercise to get you into the habit, sort of topically based on the things of the real ministry of intercession to take your prayers for the saints, to take Ephesians 6.18, praying always with all prayer and supplication for the saints. And, the spirit. and I just stand up before you. I don't stand up and say, I pray great. I say, I, the, I'm, I, I don't pray as much as I ought to, my perspective. And, and as I say that unto you, and we're, we're looking at this, and, and so what do I really take out of Acts 12 for us? Holy Spirit and prayer. We need the Holy Spirit and prayer. Constant prayer being offered up for Peter in a hopeless situation, where do they turn? They pray. Ephesians 6.18, praying all prayer and supplication for the saints. The circumstances, the, the painful ones, the, 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 the drunk spouse, the, you know, the, the, the drug addicted in, in hospital son, the prodigals. I mean, you go right through the list and the, when it's personal, right, those that you know and love and these, the, that's, a, I encourage you, constant prayer. Or 
pray without ceasing the way the King James said it. And that's the instruction in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Hebrews 13.3, remember those that are in bonds as bound with them. So why, why not attach yourself unto through the investigation of the suffering church? Why not attach yourself unto a particular people group or individuals who are actually imprisoned for their faith? You can look this up. And just again, ideas to stir you up unto, you might say, I just, what can I do? What, what can I do out here where I live? And we're so few in number. And, and I think this is that place. The, the real understanding is God hears prayer. Now, what happens with Peter's arrest that sent the church to the knees? It's a wake-up call. And again, I think I'm I'm being woke up again after my busy summer doing evangelism, outreach, and all those things, and I'm coming back into the fall. And you know what? What the moniker that I'm taking for me going forward is: I need to pray more, more time in prayer. How? They prayed with such a fervency, and and this is this word for constant. I'll talk about that a little bit. It's the Greek the Greek word for without ceasing is ektenes, which means earnestly or fervently. The idea that they prayed with such a fervency they didn't stop. Now, that, that's important. Right? That type of prayer. Prayer that does not stop. Same Greek word is used only one other place, and it happens to be found in the writings of Peter that he chose this word to describe love one another fervently with a pure heart. 1 Peter 1.22. So I find that interesting that he's the benefactor of prayer without ceasing, fervent prayer. And what's the word that he brings to the church later on in his writings? Love one another with that same unending love, constant love. I like putting that together. Herod was about to bring him out, and that night, so again, Herod's about to bring him out. What does that mean? The next day he is going to be put to death. On that night, right, Peter was sleeping. And maybe just you just highlight that and just say, and you just write in your notes and, and right after the night and just say, wow. Who on the night of which they're going to be killed sleeps? Well, Peter does. Bound with two chains between two soldiers, guards at the door. Remember the structure of the four. They're keeping the prison and behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him. Light shone in the prison. He struck Peter on the side. Literally, the word is he smote him. I mean, this is Peter's in a sleep and in such a sound sleep. The, the word is he is hit by the angel to wake up. This isn't some gentle moment for Peter. You know, come on, Peter, please wake up. Angel smites him, smote him, and raised him up saying, arise quickly. His chains fell off his hands. So immediately as he arises up, the soldiers, right, those chains. Now, they might be in a sleep. We, we, we have no record of anything. Or, or this might all be going on and they're, they're completely unaware. So as Peter knows tomorrow's the day he's standing before Herod, no fair trial coming. Judgment's already determined probably his last night of earth, on earth. How long does it take to put someone to death when you've already decided he's, he's, he's already worthy of death? You just come out, official stamp it. 
angel said to him, gird yourself, tie on your sandals. And so he did. I love that. So Peter later on writes, exhorting the church, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober. He exhorts us to be ready. He exhorts us spiritually and by faith and and to live our lives. Gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. These things that, that he stirs us up. And, and, I, and I take this as we see the angel come and, and, and call him to gird himself and get ready. And he did so. And, and he said to him, put on your garments and follow me. He went out. He followed him. He did not know that that what was done by the angel was real. But he thought he was seeing a vision. We reach this point. We've, we've seen the, you know, the sheet coming down from heaven. And what's happening for Peter, he, evidently his visions, what God would show him, was so vivid and real for him that now when something that's happening is real, he can't distinguish that it's not a vision. Or this maybe for him is so impossible that he could not even have imagined this actually happening. He just thinks he's having a vision. Who gets let out in that way when you're chained? He's he's under the tightest security. How do you get out of there? Is the church back praying and planning to send in the Christian SWAT team? to overweaponize the the Romans and get into the you know to the the Antonio fortress and and we're going to get our weapons we're going to get our bombs we're going to I mean there's no mobilizing it's all prayer you there there's nothing to match the Roman guard with and it's an impossible situation so Peter is so vivid now for him that he thinks it's a vision or a dream now, angels, right? God has given his angels charge over us. That's part of the temptation of Christ. Satan comes and says, right, get up on that high point, right, of the, of the temple, the pinnacle. Throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and lest you dash your foot against a stone. Two different psalms put together to tempt Jesus to, hey, prove that you're the son of God by a miraculous salvation because it's written the angels will care for you, so just let yourself go. And when the angels get you, then we'll know that you're the Son of God. Well, we already know he's the Son of God, because the voice from heaven said he's the Son of God. And what's Jesus say? It is written, it's also written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. So you don't go into these situations, and <clears throat> but we understand that the truth of the word is, he shall give his angels charge over you and keep you in all your ways. And then it written in the book of Hebrews 1.14 that the angels, right, some have unknowingly, oh, excuse me, Hebrews 1.14 is the description that angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who inherit salvation. And this is the case with Peter. The, the idea that they appear in human form, Hebrews 13.2, some have entertained angels unawares while they are entertaining strangers. A stranger walking by the church building in Fargo today a woman with her two kids. I mean, how do you know that the, the person who's walking right on by, this, this, this work of praying and having the Holy Spirit and God sending his angels delivered Peter from the prison. Verse 10 it says, when they were past the first and second guard posts, uh, this, I, all, all I can think of is you, the room is guarded, right? And then each one of these guard posts and they're invisible. I mean, Peter is walking out completely undetected. They come to the gate. 
the, the gate, the iron gate which leads to the city, which opened up to them of its own accord. Now, we can become so familiar with this story that we really miss the most wonderful thing, which to me is this is prayer answered by the Holy Spirit working through the prayers, praying for the saints, constant prayer. Who can, const- who can get their flesh to constantly pray? But when you pray in the Spirit, you're like then the Holy Spirit brings up this. And the Holy Spirit, and I'll pray for this, and, and pray for this situation. And the Spirit gives wisdom. Even in your weakness, Romans 8, 26, when you don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit through groanings and utterings. Now, hey, prayer Bible studies, praying in the Spirit, you know, none of this is glamorous stuff. It's not glamour. But if we receive this, we get alone and, and we grow in this. Lord, teach me to pray. I mean, so many prayer methods exist out there, and as many of those prayer methods are, I say throw them away. The Holy Spirit will lead you into prayer in the Spirit, not gimmicks, right? The door opens up on its own accord, the gate. They went out down the street, and then right there it says, immediately the angel departed from him. Peter came to himself, and look what he says. Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel. He's in, he's in as much disbelief that he's free. I don't think the church expects that he's going to be made free. They delivered, he delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. And so the angel's only there, as, again, as far as Peter needs him. He didn't come to spend a few days with Peter. A ministering spirit sent forth for this purpose. And he's sent free. And now it opens up the question, could not the Lord have saved James as well? Could not an angel have been sent to bring James out of prison? He could have delivered him too. And the answer, of course he could have. <coughs> but the, so, so we ask, why didn't he? And the answer to that simply is, God decided it that way. If we can see God delivering Peter in such a miraculous way. And we can say, why doesn't God do that with everybody in prison? And say simply because God, in the way that he does this, evidently James' ministry is run its course, it's done. And from God's perspective, James is coming home, Peter's staying. And, and yet our involvement is prayer and to see how the Holy Spirit calls us to pray in those situations. Now, what... Peter has left in his life to do. And I think this is important for us. How does it usually work with us? We hear of a believer getting cancer, right? We usually think of some of the more terminal things, not a sentence from the government, you know, or like an acquaintance of mine, but ahead of me, Will Waters. Pastor needs a a, a heart surgery to repair a valve. We had had an uh, elderly lady in, in Fargo go through a similar surgery we go into the hospital, we're praying for her. And, and, and again, we're in the spirit, it's actually lighthearted. We're in there to pray with her before she goes into surgery. And, and I look at her right in the eye and, and smile and say, I said, I said, I'm getting answered prayer. I've been praying for you to get a new heart. And you're going to come through this surgery with a new heart. Had the, had the sense that she was coming through, and she did. And she's just smiling from ear to ear over that because she loves Jesus and loved Jesus from a young age. And, and, and so yet at the same time, 
that surgery of the pastor Will Waters uh, from, uh, well, it's, it's his oasis in Plainfield, Wisconsin, where he, where he started pastoring. Great, great guy. And, he, and you look at it, 51 years of age, goes in, and he's calling his friends who are pastors, calling him up, and, and he's talking, and, like, and they're like, you're, you're, not, you're not coming back from this. I mean, had that sense that this might be it. He goes on the operating table, and, and it said that, that he literally had a smile. His body had a smile on his face. And that's what they said about him. And 51 years of age, everybody's like, why did it? And like, everybody's like, yeah, we, the Lord, the Lord wanted, he was done. The Lord wanted him home. He was that type of a pastor and that type of a personal guy, like, you know, a likeness to Christ. So I say it this way. It's important for us, each of us, to have a sense of destiny. You know, doing those things that we believe God has called us to do. Hey, if you're in a place where you'd say, I don't have interaction with people, I'm alone, I'm secluded, this, again, even a small group, but do we have a sense of the destiny of what, what is God calling us to do? What, where's that place of prayer? Maybe you have portions of your life where you've been somewhere and, and this was the Lord and now that's over. Or, or you're heading to retirement. Like, what's the Lord want me to do? And I have a friend that I, that I met while I had my, my job at Ford, another believer. We, we had Christian fellowship within like the first three hours of me working there. He sought me out. It's like, we just started having fellowship. And we get together and we pray. And, and he's retiring. He's like, what am I going to do? He's like, he's planning his retirement upon what can I do for the Lord? That type of stuff. The destiny, the, the idea of what we see in Jesus, finishing the work, doing those things. And when Peter comes through, this is verse 12 when we wrap up right here. When he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. John Mark. That's the one that Paul and Barnabas take along with them. John Mark is the one who wrote the gospel according to Mark. And when you read the gospel account, Mark identifies that in the Garden of Gethsemane, a young lad, who he does not name by name, right? They, they tore his outer garment and he ran off. Many believe that that's Mark saying, I was there. But ultimately what we do know, that, that the mother, the house of Mary, who's the mother of John, whose surname is Mark, many were gathered together praying. Now, there's times we talk about praying in your prayer closet, but there's other times when the church gathers together to pray. Calling upon the Lord, you know, the, the promise in Matthew 18, any where two or three are gathered together, agreeing upon this, that the Lord will do that for him, for them. John 15, 7, right? You have the answer as you abide in Christ in prayer. So I stir you up. You say, I have nothing to do. I, there's, what can I do for the Lord? I think of my friend as he's retiring and he's looking, what am I going to do? And he's thinking about serving the Lord in church. His son-in-law travels the world and preaches the gospel of Christ to large audiences. He had just been in Morocco and was it Senegal? I can't remember. And his son-in-law right, preaches the gospel Every month, somewhere in the world, and they have a whole group and organization. He's like, well, do I go with him? See, and he doesn't have that sense either that that's what God has for him. And, and these are the things that I just lay out before us. We see the church in the beginning and, and the most dismal situations, 
and the power of prayer in the spirit, the thing, it's God's will, right? God's will to release Peter, but he brings all the people unto God's will and praying according to God's will, we've received our answer. Now, when they get their answer, Peter's knocking at the door, we'll pick up there. And they're like, it can't be Peter. It's just his ghost, right? As you're just seeing a vision, Peter's, it, that can't be him. But the reality was they, they're praying. And sometimes we think, well, our prayers have got to be perfect prayers before God answers them. No. As you're praying and crying out according to the will of God, the Spirit takes those things, makes intercession to the saints according to the will of God. Great stuff. You see the Holy Spirit in Acts 12? See the involvement of the Holy Spirit in prayer and through prayer and getting us to pray in, and now constant prayer. And from this point forward, the warfare is a lot different. We're going to read and study in the book of Acts. Paul is, he's, I mean, he's almost killed a couple times. And, and this is that place now of the seriousness of taking this gospel out and the danger that the church faces. And maybe you have a favorite country that you adopt through voice of the martyrs that you look at and say, that's my country. That's where I'm going to pray. Maybe it's the saints in Mexico when you find out Pastor um, uh, see Juan and his wife Jesse in Granjas where there's all these drug murders being, being carried out right in their neighborhood where they, where they pastor a church. So Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit. Lord, it's sobering for us to think and yet exciting to realize that your, your will and your power, Lord, is at work and your, your, your power is greater. And Lord, many times we lose sight of that. So work in our lives in such a way to teach us persistence in prayer and bring those things that, that become near uh, to our lives that we learn to pray without ceasing for the specific people. Lord, not just praying general prayers of mention, but crying out to you night and day. So Lord, teach us to pray for your return. Teach us to pray uh, without ceasing concerning the wickedness and the evil of killing all the babies right right in our cities and in our state. And, and Lord, this warfare over all these things <coughs> concerning uh, violence and murder and hatred and, and the things that, that are being done uh, to, to kill. Just teach us to pray by your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. So may you be stirred up unto this real, real working. Say, Lord, teach me to pray. Right? Ministry of Intercession by Andrew Murray. You shouldn't have to pay for it. It's 125 years old. It's open source. Right? If you want to read it digitally, it's easy to find on the Internet. Right? And I can print the PDF off the Internet. And it's, it's not that long. 31 days. You want it? You let me know. Send me a message. Talk to me afterwards, and I'll get you set up. And say, I I want to enter into intercessory prayer, and I don't know how to. Uh, so let me know, and uh, I'll make that available to you. It's it's helped me out greatly. So you're at liberty. God bless you.